Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about to books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Sawbones and Marital Tour of uh, Misguided Medicine. I, I, I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. J- Justin, I've been looking all over for you. What, you. what are you doing here? Just leave me, Sydney. Leave me. No, you're you're just laying there on the grass and you're you're holding your foot and yeah, it, are I, you I, bleeding? Not yet. Listen, Sid, we've had a lot of good years together, but I I got a hangnail. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna. I'm gonna pull through, Sid. It's okay. No, we're getting out of this together. I'm gonna. I'm gonna drag you back to the studio. Okay, D- drag me. Here we go. You're dragging me. I'm. I'm dragging this you. This is like. This is like when a lady lifts a car off her baby. She <laughs> summons great strength. It climbs the reed. Okay. <sighs> oh, okay. Oh, thank God. You know, I was probably overreacting. It's just a hangnail. Uh, I I think that there's nope. probably a. S- I'm the doctor here. Let me take a look at it. Ooh, uh oh. This this isn't good. It's just a hangnail, Sid. Don't don't be silly. Uh, no, no. This could this could get infected. This could ulcerate. I don't know how fast you're gonna heal. I it's just a hang. I won't need no. to heal. Just. I I think there's only one solution. I think we know what we've got to do. Just clip it off and then. I guess I just move on with my life. You're right. It's got to come off. The whole foot's got to come off. No. What? That's right, Justin. The foot's got to come off. I don't think... I'm not a medical doctor. Uh, I don't That's think... That's right. I am. So listen to me, darn it. <laughs> okay, listen. I'm understandably a little freaked out right now. Do- I need my foot for s- soccer and stuff. It's too late. It's too late for all that. Listen, okay, 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 listen. I'm going to do whatever you say. I trust you. Uh, but I can you can you walk me through what what w- just walk me through a little bit about what we're talking about to help calm me down. Like you did that first time I tried Nyquil and you told me about all the chemicals <laughs> in it. Okay. All right. I'll explain to you what we're doing, but we don't have much time. <laughs> I'd say we have about a half hour. That infection could set in and and it could develop and you could lose that foot to gangrene in I, I mean, it could be as soon as weeks. We we do. We have a half hour, though, at least. I would okay. Say. Well, let me tell you about amputation, Justin. Uh, uh, please. It's the last thing I want to think about right now, but uh, anything to take my mind off the pain. Do you know where the word comes from? Obviously not. It comes from the word uh, amputare in Latin, which means to cut away, which comes from ambi, which means around, and putare, which means to prune. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to prune around your ankle a bit. Just cut some of this excess. May hurt off. a bit. 
Don't worry about it. Uh, it. Interestingly enough, the word amputare in Latin would only be used in reference to like punishment for a criminal. Like so, stealing, you get your hand cut off, that kind of thing. Precisely. So it would never be used for like the surgical procedure. That came much later, like the 17th century. Wow. So not not a lot of, um, usually we're going back to ye old ancient times with uh with with sawbones this this is a little more well a little more recent no uh the concept of amputation I, i'm giving you some history of the word amputation you like that kind of thing you love words i do it is your trade um no uh, the con i mean like the idea that maybe for some medical reason people were removing limbs actually probably dates back to the neolithic times um, they have found remnants of bone and something that was like a saw and rocks and said, yeah, they were probably Neolithic humans performing amputations for some reason. I don't know how they figure that out. I don't know. Listen, we're not caveman doctors. We're regular doctors. No, I am not an anthropologist. You right. And you are not a doctor. Fair enough. Duly noted. Um, it it probably we or we do have evidence from it in the in the vedas text the sanskrit text from india from uh 3500 to 1800 bc uh there were definitely amputations then queen vishpla had a leg amputated in battle and they made her an iron leg to replace it god that's hardcore isn't that hardcore that's yeah that's, that's, iron pretty, that's really boss that's just begging for like a robert rodriguez movie made about it. <laughs> it's gotta be heavy it is but it was really in, in Greece, and that it tends to be where a lot of our episodes land, right? Mm -hmm. In Greece, where we start to see the idea of um, uh, performing this procedure for a medical indication, knowing why we're doing it, not just uh, randomly or guessing as to what old texts may be you know, referencing. Uh, we start to see the process of amputation for um, reasons other than uh, traumatic. You know, other than your leg got crushed by a rock and we've got to we got to leave it behind. Like what kind of stuff are we talking about? Uh, largely infection. Um, at the time, you know, we didn't have antibiotics, of course. We didn't have any way to fight infection um, other than your own immune system. So if you're if you had a horrible ulcer or something, you know, some kind of infection in your extremity, in your foot or your hand or your leg or your arm, then uh, it would continue to spread and spread until you died. You became septic and died. Oh, man. So <laughs> I don't want that. No, nobody wants that. So that's when they began to come up with the idea that you could amputate a limb. You could intentionally remove it in order to prevent the infection from spreading. Right, because I think that the the idea of spreading is, is in itself kind of an advanced idea when you when you look at how we saw the human body back then, right? Because we didn't see it correct me if i'm wrong um, as you don't need prompting to i'm sure but <laughs> no 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 we, don't worry about that we weren't seeing the body as uh, uh systems in in the way that we do today right absolutely well we didn't know um when we when we knew that infection spread i need to clarify that we didn't know the word infection or what infection was um we knew that redness and heat and then you know dying tissue tended to keep spreading but we didn't know what caused it and we certainly didn't know that there was a circulatory system that was spreading it so we or a lymphatic system or anything else but we did see we saw something spreading so we knew we had to cut it off mm -hmm. we knew at least that it seemed to be progressing in a linear fashion and that eventually 
it would make a person so sick that they would probably die. And so, you know, that's a kind of a simplistic solution. So that part seems to be bad. The rest of them seems to be okay. Let's just remove that part. Which is still, I guess, has some grounding in, in, you know, reality, right? Oh, yeah. There, there's still, I mean, hopefully we're more scientific about it now. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there's still call for this. And, and it's, I think it's a testament to the 5th century Greeks that they figured this out. Where next? Well, it's interesting because as we date back to Celsus, who would have he was uh, he would have operated around year zero essentially. Um, With my man Jay Zoo. Exactly around the time Christ was born, he uh, was describing amputations, writing about amputations that he was performing, and he was actually one of the he was the first one to recommend ligating a blood vessel. Do you know what that means, Justin? <laughs> Absolutely not. So when you cut a blood vessel, as you may imagine, blood comes out. Blood comes out. Good job. Yeah. Gold well, I listen to the blood letting episode, so I'm a, I'm kind of a, a miniature expert when it comes to making people bleed. <laughs> that that's true. That's true. So uh, he was the first one to advise um, tying off those blood vessels to stop them from bleeding. That seems. You've mentioned that to me before in passing that that happens. That seems so intricate. Like I don't, I don't even know how you do that. It is very intricate. You use very small thread and dexterous, dexterous, dexterous. <laughs> dexterity. You need dex- dexterity. You need good fingers. You need good fingers. Yeah. To do that. And you practice. I mean, it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. Uh, uh, med students actually have special to, knots. Med students actually <laughs> have to open their arms uh, for at least two other students to let them practice on their veins. I heard. Precisely. My arm has been cut off and sewn back on several times. You know that that actually does happen in uh, dental school? They practice giving shots to each other? In their mouths? Yeah. I, I A friend of mine went to the dentist. And he said that his dentist told him that she used to get at minimum two shots every day for, for a while. That sounds horrific. She said it never gets any better. They you- it's comforting. I would well, I would imagine they used to practice uh, taking blood from each other in medical school, but we don't do that much more because uh, much these days because uh, physicians, honestly, at least in the U.S., don't take blood very often. Uh, we, we aren't, we're not personally responsible for a phlebotomy. Um, no, some still do, but most don't. So they were ligating. So he was ligating blood vessels. This seems like not a big deal, but it's a huge deal because it stopped bleeding effectively. Um, now it's still we still had the problem with infection so you know the the process of amputation is pretty easy it's it, it's probably as simplistic well i bet even justin could guess how it's done saw it off that's right justin <laughs> you saw it off you saw it off so if you want to remove a leg you you very simply put the saw on it you move c- the saw back and forth uh-huh just wait for the screaming to stop. You cut through the skin. You cut through the muscle. You and all the tissue beneath. You cut through you the bone. You try not to lose your nerve. You d- tie off the blood through. vessels. You bandage it. Uh, probably covered in some vinegar at the time. Oh, that's good. Good job, guys. And pray to the gods you believe in that it does not get infected. Which it will. Which it which it almost certainly because will. Because you're in the olden days and everything got infected all the time. Um. By uh, 100 AD, Archigenes, Archigenes, and Heliodorus began to, um, they were two more Greeks, Romans, 
Let me your ears. Romans. <laughs> who began to use uh, the same procedure for um, other other processes other than just infection, although we didn't know what it was at the time. Also for ulcers that weren't healing on lower extremities, so deep uh, wounds, ulcerative wounds. Uh, for tumors, although again, they pro- they didn't understand the concept of cancer, but they knew something was growing there that shouldn't and would eventually kill the patient, so they could remove a limb for that. And then other deformities, you know, problems, congenital problems or traumatic problems that would uh, cause someone to not be able to use the limb. Um, they also developed the technique of circumferential compression, meaning that they would tie something. Compression. Break that down for me. So circumferential going all the way around. Okay. And compression, applying pressure. Okay. So like a tourniquet kind of idea. Dig. So they would they would apply. Now it wasn't a tourniquet yet, not yet, but they would apply they would apply pressure around the top above the blood vessels so that they wouldn't bleed as much. And they continued to ligate vessels, which is a a, a big deal in Galen, who we have spoken of many times. Galen always Galen. about. Uh, he also um, advocated this procedure and wrote about the importance of using material that wouldn't um, rot or decompose easily to tie off the blood vessels, acknowledging that if the patient survived, they the material would be there for a while. But Galen later admitted, that's a pretty big if. They're probably not going to. You don't really need to worry about that too much. <laughs> and that's absolutely true. Most of these patients did not survive. Um, this became even more true when I, okay, something happened in the Middle Ages. King Arthur. Uh, again, I have referred to the well. The majesty of Camelot. The Majesty of Camelot occurred. Merlin's there was magic. There was magic and singing. There were talking squirrels. There was much dancing, and then everyone forgot every smart thing they'd ever learned. <laughs> well, there was all the magic. Everyone <laughs> smelled focus. bad. <laughs> everyone was making stinky poultices to put other stinky places. <laughs> you know, Stinky Poultice was the uh, name of my death metal band when I was in college. <laughs> we didn't we didn't play out much. And so, somehow we completely forgot about that really great idea about ligating blood vessels. That seemed that seemed pretty on point, especially for old dudes. It was a really really important idea, and we we just stopped. And instead, we would use cautery, which means like burning the vessels to stop the bleeding so a piece of heated metal just stick it on there after you've removed the limb which was probably just as painful as it sounds or dumping a pot of gold on their head to prove the supremacy of the dothraki is that some kind of cultural reference (laughs) little game of thrones humor for everybody oh okay I was about to call it that nerd show, but then I realized that all of our listeners would turn on me. Hundred <laughs> percent. Never mind. Keep keep on keeping on. That's actually you. all I had. That, that Game of Thrones, mind. Justin. <laughs> Game of Thrones, Justin. <laughs> they call me <laughs> at the office. They also would use hot oil for this for this process. I would um, think that uh, between your choices, see, like all things considered, molten metal doesn't sound that bad. I mean, like obviously, oh, it doesn't. Uh, no, I mean, obviously painful, but it seems like as far as like cauterization and stuff, that would be, I mean, hot oil would just bring you to a delicious golden brown. It would make you <laughs> sumptuous. I don't think that it would get the job done in terms of it, cauterization, right? Well, if you, I mean, if you burn and clot the end of the vessel, that well, we, used to, we still use cautery today. Let me clarify. In surgical procedures, 
cautery, the use of heat to stop bleeding, the use of electricity and heat, is still used. We burn blood vessels. Right, but I'm just talking about the disparity between hot oil and hot metal. Which hot metal, you got kind of a giant Tremaine vibe, I'm into it, and it, but it seems like that would be a, a good solution, albeit a bad one. Well, why don't I try both on you later and we'll see which one hurts more. Fair enough. I mean, I know they're both going to hurt. I'm just saying that hot metal, it seems like it would do the job of cauterization. Now, of course, the problem with all this is that we didn't have any anesthesia. Oops. So people, I, I will say this, uh, in the 13th century, they did try to come up with something. Um, they would soak sponges in opium and mandrake root and then just hold it over the patient's face until they went to sleep. Great. And then at the end, you could revive them with vinegar. Now, my guess is that they probably woke up wh- when you hey, 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 saw hey. to them. <laughs> And you wouldn't remember. You did, you would you're half out of a nap. You wouldn't remember telling the guy you could saw your leg off. <laughs> exactly. You wake up, you don't know what's going on. Um and a lot of this was done. I mean, again, we're talking about a lot of procedures that were probably done as a last resort. You know. Uh they knew that patients were going to either die of the, you know, blood loss from the procedure, the shock of the procedure or uh, infection. So this was a really like life or limb scenario. Literally. Now in the in the 1400s things got serious because gunpowder was invented. Ah, humanity. When, when you're things ta- are going so well with the magic and swords, <laughs> the mandrake root. It's it's really uh, the history of amputations is somewhat uh, parallels the history of warfare, um, because it, it that was where we really uh, learned how to do amputations and how to do them more effectively was because of the invention of gunpowder, the use of guns, and the um, the havoc that that has wreaked on the human body. So by necessity, we were doing more, and and I think that with anything, right? You if if you do it enough, some of these advances are bound to to become to to emerge from that. Absolutely, and in a general sense, I you know you have to give the military throughout history, not just the United States military, credit for coming up with a lot of cutting edge medical procedures and treatments and ways to manage conditions out of necessity. Because they created them. Well, I think that's a little presumptuous. How do we patch up the people that we got shot? <laughs> well, that's true. Um, in the uh, in the 1500s, with more amputations being done, there began to be uh, kind of codified procedures were described. Um, you would at first they thought, well, maybe it would be a good idea to kind of apply a band of pressure above and below where you're cutting everything off, and then, and th- but they were still doing weird things like putting egg white styptics on the wound why not to stop the bleeding we're just guessing after all it's um, just cutting off a limb <laughs> it was really why not put an omelet on there sure we don't sure. know i don't know i don't know put an egg on it we got lots of those <laughs> we've got lots not of the chickens. yolk not the yolk what are you crazy <laughs> just so the white take a chicken strap it to your plague boobo Wait. and then take the egg and pour it on your leg after not you the whole amputate egg. it just, just the, the white i got cholesterol issues I'm, i can't eat the yolk i'm sure we'll have an episode that tells you what to do with the yolk <laughs> yeah that'll be something else feed it to rocky Isn't so it? you can beat apollo creed now there was a french army surgeon in the mid 16th century who really ambrose Perre, who was really um instrumental in uh coming up with how we're going to do um amputations he brought back ligation he actually yes so again we started tying off blood vessels which we should have been doing all along um and he also um started creating more prostheses you know the the idea of a prosthetic wasn't very popular prior to this simply because most patients didn't survive 
so if somebody did you would make one out of whatever you had you know wood or bronze or iron or whatever but uh he started creating prosthetics because people might actually survive the procedure and we got even better at it when in 1616 we discovered how blood circulates kind of miraculous actually that we <laughs> had gotten this far without that knowledge it, it really is the idea that we were we knew how to stop bleeding before we knew what direction blood was going and what carried blood where and how that whole circulatory system worked so so what next so after that the tourniquet was invented uh there now, was not help me understand you talked about how in the uh, middle ages we were tying off above and below we were going to make the cut right mm-hmm. what 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 differentiates that from a tourniquet what what really differentiated it was the idea that this is okay this is something that we are actually applying above the site of the incision so you know closer to the heart than you know the incision is going to be and it is tight enough to actually stop blood flow you know because there's a difference between just applying pressure to the area and actually applying a tourniquet a tourniquet's idea is to stop blood flow so you don't just want to willy-nilly apply a tourniquet if i put a tourniquet on your arm and don't do anything about it eventually that arm is going to die it's not going to work anymore because of lack of blood flow. So applying a tourniquet and applying pressure are different concepts. Okay. With uh, uh, the surgeon Petit uh, in 1718, he came up with the idea of, of a tourniquet and then actually kind of revolutionized the incision-making process. So the, the way that they used to make incisions was what was called the classic circular cut. It was one very fast because your patient was awake. <laughs> And un- unhappy. And unhappy and in pain. So you moved as quickly as possible. You made one big circular cut through as quickly as possible, sawed through the bone, and you were done. Um, he was the one to say, you know what? We really need to cut uh, the skin first and then cut through the muscles so we can leave perhaps some extra skin to maybe cover things up at the end. Hmm. And eventually that gave way to a three-stage um circular cut where you would cut through the skin and then you would cut through the muscles so you would cut through the skin and then peel back the skin a bit Mm -hmm. peel it back a bit so that you could leave a little extra skin (sighs) and then actually cut the bone eventually when when we got to the point we were making three stage cuts where we could saw the bone off a little bit higher up so that the bone was not as long as the skin and the muscle around it retroactive apologies to anybody trying to eat a ham sammy while they enjoy our program (laughs) i do apologize about that yeah, if you have a weak stomach, well, then why are you listening to our show? Sydney actually can't. We watch anytime we watch something gross on TV. We we've been in situations before where I've been. We've both been eating, and she'll just be happily eating, watching somebody get dismembered. She has she has a very high tolerance for that sort of thing. It really once you've spent a few months in anatomy lab, you really just don't, you know. I'm just a big sack of bones and meat to you, aren't I? Well, I, I mean. I wouldn't say that on the air. Fair enough. I, it's interesting. During the Napoleonic Wars, um, there was a surgeon in Great Britain, Guthrie and Leray in France, who both made great advances um, with amputation. Again, through necessity. You know, war equals more amputations. And um, they both realized that it was better at the time. Uh, prior to this, they thought it was better to wait a while before you cut like a, a damaged or infected limb. Um, until it was absolutely the last possible option. And they both realized that it was better to cut a little sooner. And they performed many amputations and wrote papers on them and actually began to improve the survival rate. Still not great, 
but better than before. Um, and they were both, you know, recognized for that. But it really wasn't until 1846 that saying things started getting good for patients who unfortunately had to go undergo amputations. Good, of course, being a relative term. <laughs> In 1846, the idea of anesthesia with ether was finally introduced. You're welcome, humanity. So in, um, in Massachusetts, the first uh, surgery using ether was done. Um, and obviously, this revolutionized the idea of amputations because now we could put a patient to sleep before we you know, removed a limb. It says here on your, uh, your information that Lister developed the antiseptic technique. Is this Lister of Listerine fame? This is Lister of Listerine fame. Well, that guy got around, huh? As he began to, um, and he, he did play on the ideas of, I have to mention, when we talk about antiseptic techniques, he, there were predecessors who began to advocate this, such as um, Semmelweis, the father of handwashing. Sure. Hero of mine. There is a father of handwashing. Semmelweis was the first one to say, hey, you notice how after we do autopsies uh, and then we go and deliver babies, uh, the women th- that we delivered their babies get really sick. Maybe we should wash our hands in between. Revolutionary. He was drummed out of every medical society for it. Wow, really? Yeah, oh, he was. He was greatly age. criticized because uh, he, you know, he insinuated that physicians could transfer disease, which of course they can. Absolutely. But that was not a popular idea at the time. So uh, Lister developed in the in the late 1800s antiseptic technique, and then patients of all surgical persuasions began to really stand a chance because we could put them to sleep so they could undergo the procedure you didn't have to move quite as fast because your patient wasn't you know screaming in pain um we knew how to ligate blood vessels oh what are you doing down there we knew how to ligate blood vessels so your patient are we talking about a local anesthetic or a gas what's the other one general 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 so gas and i mean and this was ether and then a chloroform so you would just you know knock your patient out and it was good that we had this because what came soon, and I think when a lot of people want to hear about amputation, this is the this is what they're referencing. What came soon after this was the Civil War. Brother against brother. And, uh, That's my thing I say about the Civil War. It's estimated that there may have been 50,000 amputations performed in the Civil War. That is the same size as the population of the town we live in, for perspective, for people who live in the same town as us. It really, uh, the problem was that a lot of... Um, gunshot wounds would result in just shattering limbs and there was no way to piece anything back together at the time and inevitably the limb would become infected and the safest thing for the patient was to remove it if you wanted to save their life um so there were that was where we kind of get this i think the image a lot of people have of amputation which is like the battlefield amputation you know the civil you know the civil war there are bullets flying men are screaming there's a tent that's always that's always that's always key and uh, you have a, a guy whose leg has just been destroyed by gunfire, cannon fire, whatever, and you knock him out with some chloroform and you move quickly. You make a cut through the muscle and the skin and then you saw right through the bones and it's from the Civil War that we get the term sawbones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. where that comes from. You would ligate the blood vessels. You'd leave a little hole in the skin. You'd sew the skin back up over top, leave a little hole for all the fluid to drain out because inevitably there's going to be fluid in the tissue there. And uh, almost everybody got an infection and died. Hey, sorry, Civil War. Sorry. Hey, sorry. 
They were doing the best they could. Yeah, with with the with the caveman level knowledge that they had of amputating <laughs> things, or put a hole, put a hole there. Some stuff's gonna come out, I guess. <laughs> there was some important advances in prostheses at the time as well, um, largely because of the need. You know, there was a need for prosthetics. So, as you know, prosthetics date back to probably 300 BC. They found a leg in in Capri, Italy, that was probably it was an iron and wood leg that was probably used as a prosthetic can i have an ironwood leg after you take my foot well i wouldn't know how to design it because the leg was housed in england and was lost when uh when britain was bombed so now we'll never know what that leg looks like god you know you think you think wars don't have a cost and then you hear something like that that the capri leg is gone forever that i'll never have my wooden and iron leg but there were in the 1500s they started making prostheses with joints and then by the 1800s and then after the civil war um, they started making more functional ones that would seal to the you know to the stump and they they began making more functional prosthetics um and as you know time goes on as we go to world war one and world war two we become much better at performing amputations and our skills at making prosthetics also greatly improve um now, Sid, sadly, this is still performed uh, today. It, it uh, Obviously, my, my hangnail is not going to merit, but what are some of the, the reasons that we would have for amputating um, today? Today, and I would be so quick to say sadly, because again, it's still a life-saving procedure, and this is something that if, you, if you're, as a physician, you know, considering recommending this course to a patient, it, you know, you sit down and have a lot of conversations about the risks and the benefits either way. And a lot of the time you're doing this because it's, it is the best option. Um, vascular disease. So if there's no more blood flow to the limb and it's going to be a site of infection or non-healing wounds, um, uh, certainly disease, you know, like, uh, that can lead to, di- uh, infection of the bone, osteomyelitis, and that could be a reason, um, trauma, can be a reason if there's just nothing we can do a crush injury uh, cancer that certainly can be life-saving if with some uh, bone and musculoskeletal tumors and then congenital malformations um, usually that the amputation has just occurred naturally um, in the womb but that can correct and give people more function our, our procedures have evolved too I, w- I would imagine right absolutely i mean this, the basic idea is still pretty similar um the general thing that has improved is that we, you know, we sever it, we, we cut through the skin and we cut through the muscle and we, uh, and, and of course we cut through the bone using a, an electric saw, but we uh, reform the muscle around the bone so that we, you know, um, prevent any kind of uh, rubbing against the prosthesis that we, you know, that will be there later. And we also um, cut nerve endings higher and sew them into the surrounding tissue to try to limit the phantom limb pain that can result in some of the neuromas, kind of little balls of nerve tissue that can form that can cause a lot of pain um, and problems post-op. So, And obviously, we, uh, we try to limit joint involvement because a joint will always make it easier to use a prosthetic, and we, um, we use antiseptic techniques and anesthesia now, of course. Much to the delight of, of everyone receiving. Uh, Sydney, we want to let our listeners go, uh, but first, we... <laughs> We have to talk about this guy, which is the guy that I think makes this entire topic worth uh, talking about. So uh, as I was putting together our topic, um, one of our listeners, Eric West, tweeted that uh, we should talk about a fellow named Robert Liston. And uh, he was absolutely right we should talk about Robert Liston. So this was a surgeon, um, a Scottish surgeon, 
uh, lived from 1794 to 1847. Um, he's famous for, well, many things. But he was the first surgeon in Europe to use anesthesia um, after it had already been used in the USA first. What, what? That's right. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue, baby. <laughs> but he was known as the fastest knife in the West End. Uh, so his what he was known for, other than his, I, I think his personality, uh, was for being able to amputate a leg in two and a half minutes. Um, now, speed, of course, was important because the sure. patients weren't yeah. asleep. So getting through the procedure quickly had some value. Um, but it's obviously not the only concern. And uh, Robert Liston could attest to that as he, in one uh, case, and, th- and he cited his four best cases, and, and, by, and he knew what he was saying when he said best, so, you know, okay. he, right. he had a sense of humor about himself. In one, he accidentally amputated the patient's testicles along with his leg. Yikes. But he did it in two and a half minutes. Still, I mean, that's great timing. That's sort of like when Pizza brings it in under, Pizza Hut brings it in <laughs> under 30 minutes, but, ah, oh, there's anchovies on it. It's the same same sort of problem. I don't think it's like, ah, oh, there's anchovies on it. I think it's like instead of opening a box and finding a pizza with anchovies, you open the box and find a human head. <laughs> <laughs> you open a box and find your testicles in there. Hey. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, he, he cut his testicles off. And uh, you have to know they couldn't sew those back on. Uh, and there was not, a, not then. Another case he cited as one of his best. Uh, the other, this is his best case of all time. So during the procedure... He accidentally amputated his surgical assistant's fingers. And as he was wildly slashing about, is all I can imagine, he also sliced through the coattails of one of, of a wealthy um, observer who had paid to come witness the surge, witness the fastest knife in the West End. And the observer, um, upon being attacked with the scalpel, actually dropped dead on the site fantastic now the patient on whom he was amputated on whom he was operating went on to die from gangrene as did many patients at the time and the surgical assistant whose fingers he sliced off also died of gangrene so this was probably the only surgery in history that had a 300 percent mortality <laughs> there's a great quote here if i may please um, please he was six foot two and operated in a bottle green coat with wellington boots he sprang across the blood-stained boards upon his swooning, sweating, strapped-down patient like a duelist, calling, time me, gentlemen, time me, to students craning with pocket watches from the iron railing galleries. Everyone swore that with the first flash of his knife was followed so swiftly by the rasp of saw on bone that sight and sound seemed simultaneous, and to free both hands, he would clasp the bloody knife between his teeth. This is a surgeon. An awesome surgeon. <laughs> I know who I'm going for is Halloween. So, <laughs> Robert Liston. Um, if you're listening. Which you're not. We salute the effort. Yeah. <laughs> a for effort. <laughs> um, and we definitely will be reading more about you, sir. Another person I want to give an A for effort is you, our dear listener, for sticking with us through another grisly episode. <laughs> Of our medical history program. We sure hope you've enjoyed it. And don't worry, Justin's going to make it. I'm going to pull through. He's just wimpy. If you have a minute, if you could go to iTunes, search for Sawbones, and leave us a review. Gosh, that would just uh, mean the world to us. Uh, when you take the, a moment to do that, it may it may take just a minute out of your day, but uh, it, it, it really does help us out. And of course, we, we want to thank 
some of the people who have already um, uh, tra- made the journey, made made the long trek across their keyboard uh, over to um, uh, over to iTunes to review our program. And I read them all, so don't so, think I don't. So so be nice. Uh, some of this week's uh, Moat Wolen, Tyrond, Paleo Arcs, Daddy O Sam. Hey, Mary, hi, surprised by Kitten, Delwina, Cutology, Axion22, uh, Darren505, Bubbles41, my favorite med historian, who is an actual medical historian. Yeah, let me tell you, bud, when we checked out that I had a, we had a review by a med historian, I got pretty nervous. So I'm I was, nervous. I'm thrilled that you enjoy it. So head on over to iTunes and, and we'll, we'll read your name on the air uh on twitter you can follow us at sawbones uh you can go to maximumfun.org and listen to all the other great max fun shows uh like jordan jesse go judge john hodgman stop podcasting yourself my brother my brother and me one bad mother and thank you to you the listener yeah thanks so much for tuning in it means a lot um we love your comments we love your reviews and keep on giving us suggestions of things you'd like to hear more about. You can email us sawbones at maximumfun.org or just tweet at sawbones. Uh, thank you so much again for listening. Make sure to join us again next Friday for another episode of Sawbones. I'm Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.